welcome to the CLB Forge podcast, brought to you by CLB North American Mission. This is a show to help equip you and your church for mission, ministry, and multiplying disciples. Welcome in. This past June, the CLB hosted its biennial convention, and during the convention, there were a number of seminars that tied into our podcast focus on mission engagement, ministry leadership, and multiplying disciples. Today, we're excited to share one of those seminars with you. Please remember that the seminars reflect the views and opinions of the individual or the individuals who are speaking. We hope that you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I'll encourage you to go ahead and find a seat or a new seat. I know some of you were in here earlier doing kind of quick turnaround here. So if you still need to stretch, that's totally fine. My name is Dory Fink, and our conversation this afternoon is about growing together and helping families connect to the larger church family. So if that's not what you were expecting, and you need to go to a different place, that is okay. Um, while we're waiting for people to settle in, I'll just let you know, because I'm afraid I'll forget at the end, Ryan Nielsen asked me to let you know that he has some surveys for those of you who are children's ministry workers, and he's really hoping that at the end, you would pick one up and fill it out and leave it up here in terms of resources and things like that. So I'll try to remember to say something at the end, but I can't promise I'll remember. We don't have a lot of time today to have a real interactive setting, but I would like to have a sense of the community that we have in the room. So if some of you would be willing just to call out where you came from to come to the convention, where your um, home church is or where you have traveled from, we'd love to hear. Pennsylvania, Iowa, Eau Claire, Washington, great, well welcome. How many of you have children or grandchildren in the kind of birth through 10 year age? I mean, parents and grandparents with littles around, okay. How many of you are on a church staff? Any of you children's ministry workers or pastors? Okay, a few. Okay, and um, those who maybe don't have children or grandchildren at home with you now, but are here because you want to be supportive of those who do. A few. That's awesome. Thank you. That's such an important part of our conversation. So thank you so much for coming today and for being a part of this. Um, it's been a long day. Our hearts and our minds are full. So. Let's just take a minute and pray together and give this time to the Lord. Lord God, we come before you and we are so thankful that you are God. Lord, we thank you for this community of believers who are gathered here at this convention and specifically in this room now. And Lord, we just pray that you would take all of the experiences and thoughts and expectations that we bring with us into this time together. Things that you know even better than we do. Lord, we pray that you would take them and that you would take our thoughts and our words and you would multiply them. You would direct them in the way that you would have them to go. That you would bring beauty from our time together. 
that it would be honoring and glorifying to you and that your spirit would breathe life into our hearts and minds, um, into the families, the churches, the communities that we go back to. We give all of this to you in your name. Amen. Well, today's going to be a little bit of a quick flyover. There's a whole lot that we could spend time on. Um, my plan is to just talk briefly about some definitions um, and kind of what, how I'm going to be using certain terms today, and then to talk about the why. why. Why are we looking at this? Not only to help focus our conversation in the moment, but to give us language to talk with other people about it. And then I want to share some practical tips. Um, and things that, that you can take back with you. And I'm just going to say right now from the beginning, I may say this again as we move forward, but especially with the practical pieces, it's very easy, I think, for us to think in any kind of ministry or whatever, especially when we're trying to resource lots of different ideas. It's easy to think that one size fits all, and that's not how God made us. In fact, that's actually the whole reason we want to talk about being part of a community is because we all bring different things to it and our congregations bring different things to it. Our communities bring different things to it and that's kind of the point. So I want to just free you to kind of absorb and process the spiritual truths that we talk about today and to let the, the specifics and the logistics and the practical pieces Fall into that however they might for you. Those aren't the spiritual truths. Those are just the processing of it together. Um, we can't really talk about growing together without using the phrase intergenerational ministry. And this is a phrase that has kind of gotten a bad rap, I think. I think we often think of intergenerational ministry as doing crafts with kids in the church basement. <laughs> And that may be a piece of it sometimes, but that's kind of like saying, we're going to talk about all the fruit that God made in the entire world and then only sample Granny Smith apples. It's just such a little, little tiny slice. Um, intergenerational ministry is also a woman in her 40s who's thinking about her career change and processing that with a woman in her 60s whose career change in the decade before was life-changing for her. And then processing that with a college student who is in the process of trying to figure out what career she might go into. That's intergenerational ministry. Intergenerational ministry is a grandfather working alongside of a teenager to weigh potatoes at a food bank. Um, it's a four-year-old sitting with his parents in worship and noticing that one of the people on the worship team is his Sunday school teacher and saying, Mom! I know her, that's my teacher, and she's going to help us worship. I actually heard that conversation. That's a really special thing about being a community together. By definition, yes, intergenerational means between generations, and so we talk about it very specifically with ages and, and different um, backgrounds that we come from in that sense, but our conversation today is even going to be broader than that. Um, we've started using phrases like whole church or whole body, which is very helpful, although that also can sometimes feel exclusive to people who aren't a part of the church family, um, and it can kind of imply that everybody's supposed to do everything together all the time, and that would be totally exhausting. 
Um, but we do want to think about all the different ways in which our structures separate us. So not just age, but for instance, at our church in um, at Bethesda in Eau Claire, we have a thriving ministry for adults with special needs. And that has meant that we've had some conversations as a congregation about what that looks like during worship and how we interact together as life groups. Um, politics and perspectives can separate us. Socioeconomic status can separate us. There are all sorts of ways that we think of dividing up because it's natural for us to connect with people who are similar to us. And there is huge value to that and that's important too. But if that's all we do, we are missing the gift that God has given to us. I like to talk a little bit about family structure to think of intergenerational ministry much like, like a family. Um, most families, in most families, there will be family meals and family activities and even some special family vacations and things that are looked forward to all year as well as daily routines the families do together. But more than likely, the parents also have date nights. And more than likely, there might be a girl's night out with the mother and the daughters and maybe a grandmother and an aunt. There might be a boy's movie night with the father and the sons. Um, there might be some sibling activities. Certainly during the day, families divide between school and work. One family member might be invited to a birthday party or might have a dentist appointment. And yet all of those things are decided and informed by the entire family. One parent isn't going to choose to leave on a trip without taking into account how that's going to affect the entire family. And in much the same way, in our church families, both locally in our local congregations, and then I also think we're learning how to do it better, thinking about a denomination, thinking about the worldwide church, the decisions that we make are informed by the rest of our community, and our community is informed by our needs and the things that we have in front of us. So I often say, I always start children's ministry training by saying the children's ministry does not run parallel to the rest of the church. Um, children's ministry is informed by the church family and informs the church family. Intergenerational ministry is also not something that we do every once in a while. So it's not something that everybody does all together all the time, but it's also not something that we just do for special occasions because it's really not an activity. It's an attitude. It's a mindset and a philosophy and approach. It's a way of being, a way of being as a church family. I'll give you an example of how I've seen this play out at Bethesda just recently. Um, Bethesda has a long history, way before I ever came to Bethesda, of really enjoying Vacation Bible School and really making a big deal of Vacation Bible School. And the whole congregation would rally around that because it was a special time of the year, something that people looked forward to. And that was wonderful. There wasn't anything wrong with that. That was a good thing. But a few years ago, we started talking about Vacation Bible School as a way to experience God together. We started talking about and noticing the intergenerational pieces that were happening just naturally. Um, the grandmothers and the grandfathers who were interacting with the teenagers and the young kids. The middle-aged women who were mentoring the teenage girls um, out on the playground. All the different connections. We started thinking about how we could care for families holistically as they dropped off their kids. 
How do we as a church congregation embrace their family and care for them? For a variety of reasons in the last few years, um, including COVID, the shape of our Vacation Bible School has changed a little bit. And this year, as we're approaching it, um, we are going to have a drop-off program for kids, so there is going to be that child focus some of the time, which is good and right and appropriate. But we're also, we're kicking off the whole week on a Sunday afternoon and evening and inviting the entire congregation into that, to a meal and to a worship celebration together. And then the program for kids is going to be in the afternoons. And two afternoons during the week, families are going to be invited when they pick up their kids to stay for a meal. And the entire congregation is invited back for that. And what I've noticed as we've been talking about it is that as a church, we're making a shift. And instead of saying, oh, VBS is this really great thing we do every year, and therefore we're all in because we want to make it intergenerational, the conversation is much more, we really value living life as a community. And we're all in on VBS because that's one way we can do it. And I think that shift is really significant. It's really been exciting to see. Um, I think it's also important to note, too, there's a lot of emphasis when we talk about children's ministry and a lot of the writing that's happened, a lot of the books that you might read about children's ministry talk about different developmental stages and mental development, cognitive development, physical development, emotional development, and that's all really important. And we really do need to provide space to meet people where they're at, whether that be kids or senior citizens or an adult with special needs or a mom in her 30s or a dad in his 50s, whatever that might look like, that's important. But I think we also have to remember that spiritual development, there are pieces of it, that follow our physical age, and there are pieces of it that are informed by our life experiences, but it doesn't always follow that specific path. And that's one of the reasons why I think it's important for us to interact as a community and experience God together. So in thinking a little bit more about the why, we're gonna look at three examples in the Old Testament, because quite frankly, living in community is biblical. It's all over the Bible. Um, the God's people in the Old Testament were a people, and they were a community in a way that in our Western culture, and I'll say even specifically in the United States, we don't fully understand. Um, and that's one of the things that's been beautiful about getting to know through our Lutheran Brethren International Missions, cultures in other parts of the world who do understand community in a different way. Um, but we're going to look at three examples of God's people. So one of them, interestingly enough, is the same one that Greg Anderson started his talk with this morning, Jehoshaphat, when he was talking about when Israel was surrounded and God came and saved them. But there's something incredibly powerful that happened before God delivered them. The Bible says that people from every town in Judah came to seek God together. And Jehoshaphat stood up, and in front of everyone, he prayed. He acknowledged that God is in charge. He remembered God's history with his people. And then he said, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. As a leader, Jehoshaphat 
gathered the people together. And not only was he acknowledging, we don't know what to do. That can be a hard thing for a leader to say. But he was helping the people to focus their attention on God, to watch and to wait. And the very next sentence is also incredibly powerful. It says, all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Together, they were positioned to see what God would do. And then, from this assembly, the Holy Spirit came to one individual who spoke God's word to his people. He said, listen, Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, God spoke to his people collectively. And he said, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. In current vernacular, God was basically saying, don't worry about it. I've got this. And all the people of Judea got to hear that and feel the impact of that because they had been positioned together to experience that. And then they got to live out their faith together. The Bible says that they all worshipped and they all went out to meet the enemy army. In fact, that choir that Greg Anderson was talking about, the Bible says that that came as a result of Joseph, Jehoshaphat consulting with the people. They experienced God together. Another story that I really enjoy from the Old Testament is the story of Nehemiah that we find in um, Nehemiah and Ezra as the remnant who has been in exile comes back and is rebuilding the temple. And there are actually several verses in Nehemiah where it talks about all the people gathering together. And there are even some verses where it says, including nursing children. So very intentional. This was everybody. Um, and it's interesting because the different generations had different responses. As the foundation for the new temple was laid, we read in Ezra that people were excited and there was great rejoicing. But then we also read that the leaders who had known the old, te old temple were experiencing grief. In Ezra chapter 3, verses 11 through 13, it says, All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. Did these different viewpoints cause tension? Well, we don't know for sure, but I would imagine probably so. I can envision some of the conversations that, you know, it's just time to let go. It's time to look forward. But you don't understand what we've lost, and we need to remember our history. But the point is that they experienced it together, and they all brought their vantage point to the table. What they brought informed the whole body. 
Living together in community and thinking about intergenerational ministry is not just about what we give to the kids, even though that's really important. And it's important no matter what our stage in life, that we interact with those who have gone before us. But we also need to remember that the kids have a lot to give to us. The younger generations have a lot to give to us. Over the sweep of history, there have been times when kids were considered little adults. They were expected to do all the things that adults did and to dress like adults. And then there have been other times where, including in the recent century, we said, no, 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 that's not right. Kids need to develop on their own. But then we kind of move into this tendency of trying to think, well, kids are just, they're kids, they're different from adults, and they're kind of like partial adults. Kids aren't partial members of the body of Christ. There's not a smaller version of the Holy Spirit that lives in their hearts and minds. Um, one of my all-time favorite stories from the Old Testament is the story of Naaman. It's found in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's not many verses. Um, we're going to do a quick flyover. So Naaman was a commander of the army for the king of Aram. He was highly regarded because the Lord had given him victory. That's an interesting thing to unpack in and of itself. And we know that he had a skin disease. Okay, next character is a young girl. That's how she's identified in the scriptures, as a young girl. We don't know a lot about her. We know that she was a captive from Israel. And we know that she served Naaman's wife. And then the other thing we know is one thing that she said. She said to Naaman's wife, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And the adults in her life listened. Now, we don't know exactly how that went down. We don't know if it took a while before Naaman's wife told Naaman or she rushed off and said, Naaman, I, you've, got to, you've got to listen to this. The next sentence that we read in the Bible simply says that Naaman went to the king of Aram to ask for permission to go to Israel. So here's Naaman. He went to the king. He left with a letter from the king to the king of Israel, because the king of Aram said, absolutely. And the Bible says he left with 10 sets of clothing. I think that's a fascinating detail to be included in scripture. He went to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, who was in a position, should have been in a position to understand God and how God works, kind of freaked out and said, I'm not God. I can't do that. You're just trying to pick a fight with me. Well, the prophet Elijah heard what was going on, and so he summoned Naaman to his home. He sent a messenger out. The messenger told Naaman to go wash in the Jordan River seven times and he would be cleaned. Well, Naaman got angry. The Bible actually says that Naaman said, I thought he'd come out and wave his hand over my skin. He was expecting some great show. Naaman's servants said to him essentially, listen to what you're saying. If the prophet had asked you to do something really hard, you would have done it in a heartbeat. What he's asking is easy. Give it a try. And Naaman listened to his servants. He went and he washed in the Jordan River. He was healed and he committed to worshiping God who he said he recognized as the one and only God. Now, 
we can look at this and we can say with our spiritual eyes of a few thousand years later, wow, only God could have orchestrated something like this. But if I'm honest, I am much more likely to look at this and say, really, God? It didn't have to be so complicated. <laughs> if you had asked me, I could have come up with a much simpler way, and it would have been gone something like, Lord, would you please heal Naaman? And you would have said yes, and we would have been done. <laughs> but that's not what God chose to do. Now, we may never know all the reasons why God chose to act this way. We don't know all the ripple effects of all the people involved in this. But we do know that this is how God works. He created us in community. Before there was sin and pain in the world, he said it's not good that Adam was alone. The very character of God is relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we were created from the overflow of that love that the, the three Godheads had for each other. If we are made in his image, it shouldn't be surprising that he works in our lives through relationship and through community. Tish Harrison Warren, who, um, in her book, Prayer in the Night, said that once all things are redeemed, we will not suddenly become supermen and superwomen who are autonomous and self-sustaining. We will never not be needy. We will never not need God or one another. Our telos, or goal, is community, not self-sufficiency. It's a feast, a life together. So we get to figure out together, as the body of Christ, how to live that out. How to model that for those around us, not just our kids, but for, for everyone. Um, culturally, I'll say in the United States, it's certainly broader than that, but for, for our discussion right now, culturally in the United States, we tend to segregate by age group in everything we do, right? Kids go to school, when you're in middle, midlife, you work, and then you retire, and you're supposed to live a life of leisure, right? And that tends to be how we segregate things. If you sign up for classes at the community center, typically they're segregated by age. There are all kinds of research projects that have been done recently, especially coming out of the pandemic, but it was happening even before that, about how communities thrive when they interact intergenerationally. And many scholars, secular um, and religious scholars, have noticed that religious organizations, including churches, are one of the very few institutions where we walk alongside each other for the whole cycle of life, right? We walk alongside of each other literally from birth to death. We have a beautiful gift that God has given to us. And that doesn't mean that we do everything together all the time, but it does mean that we need to be intentional about those relationships, about putting ourselves in positions to experience God together, to talk about God together, to enjoy God together, to receive his love together, to love others together. Uh, Jesus made this very clear 
when he said that, in, throughout his ministry, when he said he valued children. He didn't say, um, you know, if you want some tips, you could ask a child or kind of watch what the kids do and you might get some good ideas. He said, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven unless you become like a child. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that um, God wants a child's heart and an adult mind. <laughs> now, I don't know that I would play that out all the way, but it is, a, it is a beautiful expression of why different places in the body, we support each other and we help each other and we learn to understand together. Um, a couple of years ago, we started a program at Bethesda called the Family Journey. And without going into the logistics of how this works, what I will say is that it is a time for families to come together. It's almost like a family Sunday school kind of experience. And we, this past year, we've been traveling through the Gospel of John together. So this past year, we started every single time together with a verse or a phrase from the story. So a few weeks ago, we were getting ready to talk about Jesus appearing to his disciples after his resurrection. And this was the verse that we put on the screen. The disciples were together. They had locked the doors because they were afraid. I read that to all the families. And then I said, why do you think they were afraid? What might have been happening? Or what might have them, they been thinking that caused them to be afraid? Well, right off the bat, one of the second graders said, well, they had been hearing that Jesus was alive, and maybe they didn't know what he would look like now that he had been dead. And maybe they didn't know what he would say to them or if he would be mad that they didn't help him live better. Then one of the other kids raised her hand, I think it was a kindergartner, and she said they had just seen Jesus die, and that was really scary. So maybe they still had those memories in their mind. Probably. And then one of the other children said, well, they had been so used to Jesus being with them, and now he wasn't there to tell them what to do. And maybe that was pretty scary. Yeah, probably. In a sense, we hadn't even officially started the story yet. And yet already those kids had opened a door to looking at the scripture in a way that I doubt any of us adults in the room had entered with those thoughts in our mind. I know that I heard and processed that story differently because of the questions and the statements and the ideas that the kids had and that they shared. All right, so let's get into a little bit of some practical things. How, how do we play this out? How do we specifically help children and families connect with our local church body as well as with the worldwide church? Um, I'm just going to offer a few ideas to get you started. If any of you would be interested in having more conversations later through email or on the phone or in other ways, I would love to do that with you. One very practical way to start with some of these things, I think, as we think as a church family, is looking at the seasons of the church calendar. It's a very natural way to talk about things together as a whole church family. 
We've been really intentional the last few years about how we talk about Advent and how we talk about Lent, um, providing resources with families so they can have those conversations at home. Uh, we have a, a series of bookshelves we call it our Family Resource Center. And during Advent, we fill those shelves with books about the story of Jesus' birth. And throughout the year, there are a couple of shelves that change what's there so that families have resources to be able to have conversations with kids, to take the conversations that are happening at church and to continue them at home and to take the conversations that are happening at home and to bring them and continue them at church. This is also a wonderful way to be aware of the fact that we are connecting with the church worldwide. I remember a few years ago, Dave and um, Sonia Narvison, who are serving with LBIM in Doe, Chad, Africa, sent us a picture of their family in their home in Doe celebrating Advent. And the kids were fascinated. There are people on the other side of the world that have an Advent wreath just like ours here. And all of a sudden, our collective brains and hearts start expanding and saying, yeah, there are other people who worship the same God. There are other people who are also thinking about what it means to wait for Christ's coming. There are other people who are like me and who are different from me, who are older than me, who are like my grandparents, who are like my parents. There are people who are younger than me. There are teenagers who care about Jesus and are worshiping Jesus. Um, as part of our family journey experience this year during Lent and Holy Week, we tried to pre-teach some of the things that we would be doing as a whole congregation. So in our church, we have a Good Friday Tenebrae service every year. And that could be a hard thing for parents to know how to talk about with their kids. So the Sunday before, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the Tenebrae service, we had an interactive, we called it a walking tenebrae service, where we took the scriptures that were going to be used in the Friday service, and we put them at different stations around the room. And then all the kids had a little LED candle, and all the adults had a little LED candle, and we traveled to each station and read the scriptures and talked about them. And they had a, an item that they could pick up at each station to make a set of resurrection eggs. Four of the families that participated in this brought their kids to the Tenebrae service for the first time later that week. I haven't asked them specifically if this was, if this was why, but I'm, I'm hoping that that was part of it. This opened the door and made it accessible so that they could come and experience that together as a family. Um, just another quick seasonal um, example. This is a picture from our church from Palm Sunday this year. We did the palms just like churches all over the world do palm branches. And we were very intentional this year about inviting all the family members of young kids. We had a grandma carrying a three-month-old. Um, you can see a dad with, with his little one on his shoulders. And it was very much a family celebration. It wasn't a performance. It wasn't an, oh, let's look at the cute kids. It was, we are doing this together as a family. We are remembering how people saw Jesus enter Jerusalem and praised him as king, even though they didn't understand what kind of a king he was. We are remembering that he noted, they noticed something about him and worshiped him as king. All right, I 
think. I want to make sure that we get to one other here. Um, one of the very exciting projects for me that we have been working on in the last few years is putting together a vacation Bible school curriculum, a plan for about six or seven years. It started out as a discussion of um, how could we do this in a way that it would be something that we could share with the congregation, with the congregation, with the denomination. We, I think it's right. we had experienced a vacation Bible school at Bethesda um, using another, a published curriculum that looked at, it was a cross-cultural experience, uh, cross-cultural vacation Bible school curriculum. It looked at Peru. And it was a great fit for us. We really loved it. Um, it was really a good experience for all of us generationally. And we thought, we really want to do this for the countries where the Lutheran Brethren International Mission is at work. We really want to get to know those cultures, and we want to get to know the LBIM staff there. So how can we do that? We, our congregation has a pretty special relationship with um, Chad. We've adopted the Full Bay people, and so we've been very intentional about getting to know a lot of the stories coming out of Chad. And so that was a great place for us to start because it was familiar to us. Um, but we wanted to be able to spend time thinking about Japan and Taiwan. We wanted to talk about language studies, what it means to be a cross-cultural worker. And we wanted to do this as a way to learn and experience God as a congregation. We wanted to do this as a way to learn about people who are different from us so that we could expand our view of God as their creator the more we get to know his creation, the more we get to know him. Um, so we, last year, we, our curriculum was Encounter with Chad. We had a wonderful team of people, not just from our congregation, but from throughout, throughout the denomination, doing things like videography, writing the music, um, taking footage, LBIM staff were sending us footage from around the world that we were putting together into video form. It was a very rich week for us, and we have made it accessible so that we can share it with you. I decided not to try to connect to the internet because I know there can always be glitches with that. So this, these are just screenshots at this uh, CLB Forge, which Nick Mundus shared a little bit about this morning. There was a little glitch. I'll claim it as my glitch. <laughs> so the link is not working. It still says coming soon. But by the end of the week, Krista Jar is, is going to get that all up and running. So that if you click on resources at the top of the page, this is clbforge.org, by the way. Forgot about that. You can get to the resource page where there's this wonderful search tool. And this is good to know for all kinds of resources. Krista and the others who have worked on this have built in a fantastic search engine that takes all sorts of words. You could put in Vacation Bible School, you could put in Chad, you could put in Intergenerational, and this would come up, so you can see it says coming soon, but Encounter with Chad. You can currently click and download the scope and sequence, but pretty soon you will have access to all of the files. So the Bible stories, there's a welcome from Nick Mundus to the Lutheran Brethren Church. All of the music files, games, activities. If you go into the decorating file, there are files of every area that we decorated with lists of supply links and how we did it. And it's not as complete 
as some of the published curriculums that are out there, but it's more complete than some of them too. So it, you, you will get quite a bit if you go there, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful collaboration from a lot of people. You go to the video resources, you get Bible moments, you not only get the videos you could show if you want to, but you get the full scripts. If you want to have your own Bible story teacher, do their own. Uh, we had video journals from Dan Venberg that connected with the biblical themes for each day and kids' stories. I think Kathy is going to come help me change the audio so I can show you a very quick preview video. What you're going to see is just a clip. It's going to show you little clips of the music videos that go with this, uh, little clips of the kids' stories and some of the footage that came directly from Chad as well as some of the activities and things that we did. So it's just about 45 seconds. And where did she go? She disappeared on me. OK. Oh, maybe she went to get Krista. OK. Well, while we're, oh, do you need the microphone then? OK. Okay for me to play it or do I need to wait? Yep. I can hold the microphone up to it maybe. There you go. have started using this in different ways. Um, there's a church in Florida that used just the kids' stories as part of their VBS last year, supplementing another curriculum. Um, Bethel here in Fergus Falls used this as a Sunday school curriculum during their missions month in February. Um, there are lots of creative ways to use pieces of it or all of it intergenerationally or for kids or for certain um, small groups. So I just want to let you know that it's available. And I, you can certainly reach out to me, and I can get material to you as well. But it's super helpful if you end up going through the forge, because then that's kind of a central place for us to know who's has it and who's using it. And one of the cool things that we're doing is, for instance, when Bethel did it, they created some other material that they then shared with us that we added to the appendix. So this is just growing, and it's something that we can contribute to together as a body of churches. And it's a way for us to get to know the worldwide church in a greater way. This year, the curriculum is focused on what it means to be a cross-cultural worker, um, how someone decides to do that, how they prepare for it, why they would do that, what home assignment is, what it means to be a sending church. 
And in the years to come, we'll have one that focuses on Japan, one that focuses on Taiwan, um, and a couple more that focus on Chad. For instance, one that focuses on Mercy Ministries in Chad. The New Testament talks a lot as well about being a community, a body of Christ. We hear that language a lot. Um, the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4.19, I am going through labor pains again until Christ is formed in you. That is not the image of a parent pacing back and forth anxiously hoping their child makes the right decision. It's not the image of a Sunday school teacher saying, I'm going to prepare as best I can and I'm going to give them the material and then it's up to them to figure out what it means or what to do with it. That is a very intimate picture of coming alongside somebody else in the body of Christ. It's a very specific image that invokes both joy and pain and difficulty, and it's a commitment. It's a beautiful image, and it's one that I think that we, as individuals, as families, as churches, as a synod, as the people of God, if we are considering what that means and what that looks like for us in our little interactions day to day, in our big interactions, in our conventions, whatever that might be, this is disciple-making. This is what we've been talking about all weekend. Let me pray for us. Lord God, once again, we thank you that you are God. We ask you to teach us what it means to follow you, to trust you, and to love others well. Teach us how to do this as a community. Teach us how to do this in ways that honor who you created us to be as individuals and as a group of your people. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. This has been an episode of the CLB Forge podcast brought to you by CLB North American Mission. Thanks for listening. We welcome your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at clbforge.org.